Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Hi, this is Week in Review host Bill Radke, back with another episode of Words in Review. Each week, I pick a word or a phrase we're hearing a lot lately in the news, the culture, and I ask, why are we using that word instead of something else? What do the words we say say about us? Right now, our state legislature is debating a bill to protect young transgender people from the reach of anti-trans health care laws in other states, such as Kentucky, that have restricted gender-affirming health care, like puberty blockers and hormone therapy for minors. There are other state laws about which bathrooms students can use, what sports teams they can join, how they can discuss gender and sexuality. There is a word commonly used to describe these kinds of laws. It's a transphobic policy. Your line of questioning is transphobic. It's just not credible to write them off as, as transphobic. A phobia is an extreme or irrational fear or aversion. Does that describe all anti-trans sentiment, some of it? Is this bias based in fear, hate, something else? You're about to hear from two people with different takes. The idea of considering the word transphobia came from an email that I got from our first guest. Eve Pillay is a white transgender woman, a dispute resolution mediator, and a trans advocate on Bainbridge Island. She doesn't use the word transphobic to describe an individual person. I am not comfortable with the word transphobic because I don't know anybody who's been afraid of me in the six, seven years that I've been out on Bainbridge Island. I haven't had that experience in Squim or Port Angeles or Port Townsend, certainly. Uh, the first week that I spent as myself, as Eve, that I had that opportunity was in Wenatchee, and it was a quite wonderful experience. I've you know been in small towns in Washington and had no trouble. Eve, I'm glad that uh, you haven't experienced people as being afraid of you, but when people take these stances on whether it's bathrooms or medical care, health care, is there not a more generalized fear behind that? I don't understand if it's really a fear. I'm not in the mind of these people. I think that very often what they are reacting to is something unknown, something changing, that they don't want to have change, that they want some certainties in their life, and these certainties are very valuable to them. If I accuse somebody of being transphobic, their reaction is going to be, I'm not afraid. You know, I just don't like you guys. It's this way we generalize things. We go into conversations looking to be right. And it happens on both sides, all political spectrum. Why does it matter whether uh, we choose just the right word to describe something that, in effect, can be hurtful whether that person is thinks they're phobic or not phobic? I, it could be. I mean, I do not have an alternate word. I understand what people mean when they say transphobia. I understand when they talk about transphobia as our culture. I get all of that. And at the same time, I'm concerned that it's not a word that really connects with anyone. Could it be that framing 
this kind of discrimination as being phobic, transphobic, could be helpful in getting people to think, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not just standing up to woke culture. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm afraid. Am I afraid? It could really, really be what's going on. I'm really OK with using the word generally to describe the culture. I am not okay with using it in a conversation with somebody and telling them they are being transphobic. That will put them into a defensive position and I won't be able to help them. They won't be able to help me. I would say that connection is the, one of the most fundamental you know, human needs. And you know, the way to have connection is to build trust. Language ideally is a way to build trust. I can understand Eve seeing language as a way to build trust between individuals. She is a dispute resolution mediator. But we don't only use words to connect individuals. We also use words to call out what we see in society, to name what has been disguised. My next guest is also a transgender woman and also cares a lot about the language we use. Jalen Scott leads Seattle's Lavender Rights Project. They advocate for black and indigenous gender diverse people. Jalen is also black, and she says she has no problem saying that many individual people are afraid of her for overlapping reasons. You have black women and the fear that goes along with the power of black women and their association of anger with us. You have black identity in general and the uh, guilt associated with the experience of Black people in this country from people who are not Black. And then you have trans identity, which it is clear as we look across this country, the wish to essentially erase us as a people is deeply rooted in fear. We threaten everything that they have understood to exist uh, about identity and gender identity. When Eve was talking about the word transphobic, she told me that she worries that telling another person what they're feeling, that you're phobic, you know, that you're scared, cuts off communication and just sparks defensiveness. What do you think of that? There is an interpersonal approach of how we really use language with others. I do agree with Eve on that when you're building relationships. But, you know, we as Black people have always found power in naming truth and naming uh, social problems versus the interpersonal. Can you tell us what you mean, maybe an illustration of what's happened in your life or the life of people you know that convince you that what underlies this bias, this bigotry, is phobia? I have had experiences of people really paying really close attention to me uh, in grocery stores, of comments being made about my appearance and my presentation, Um, a a lot of... um, Uh, looks and um, ill treatment uh, sometimes by people who uh, work there. I mean, I think you hear the same thing reflected by Black people in um, retail stores, including myself, where people are following you. um, And you have the same experience when you're in the street and someone clutches a purse or grabs their child when you're getting near. This is a daily experience, I think, of Black folks, but especially of Black trans uh, folks who are more visible uh, to the community, it's some. It's really hard to put your finger on what it is. Like, is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm black and trans? Is it because I'm tall? Uh, but what we do, you know, I think often within our community is we do a check with each other. It's like, was that racist? Am I imagining this? 
And it is so lovely to be in community and be affirmed and say, no, I'm experiencing the exact same thing from the exact same type of people and the exact same identity of people. Uh, And so this is actually happening. And I know that as a human being, you know, that I am good, that I am beautiful, that I am worthy and, and, and on and on. So there is no fault on me. The only thing that I could ever base your reasoning for othering me, for making comments directly to me, for not treating me well, for suspecting me of crime, um, is an absolute and deep fear of who I am and what I do as a person to you and your understanding of who you are. It, it's the only logical conclusion to me. Jaylin, this series is is about the words we choose. What do you want to tell us about the power of the words we decide to use? I have been, um, and I think a lot of our community right now is in shock, anger, disbelief that the words that are being used in the mainstream, in the halls of Congress, in the Kentucky legislature, in even in our Washington state legislature and bills that are introduced, that the words being used against us, groomer, wrong identities for who we actually are, the words that are being used as weapons against us across this country, that that is entering the mainstream and that more people are not really just appalled by uh, this happening. And I think I'm in shock and disbelief and concern. The words that people are using uh, across this country about trans people right now is making the environment very dangerous for our existence. And it will, if it has not already cost lives, it is about the words we use. And there are certain people um, who understand the power of words, maybe sometimes more than we do. And they are able to weaponize those words to harm us. The intention is not education. It's not um, that there is really any concern about a drag show actually being a problem for youth. The intention is to uh, eliminate transgender people and our existence and our identity. And we need to get clear that that's what's happening. And we need to figure out how to disrupt those words. Eve and Jaylin each have a story to tell, and they share a belief in the power of language to connect us, divide us, and to shine a light on what we don't always want to name. I'll leave you with one more story about words. Eve told me she was at an LGBTQ leadership retreat where the group had posted sheets of paper and they were writing words that described transgender people. And I looked at the words that were up there and it would, you know, things like trouble with pronouns, being misgendered, getting othered, being invisible, that we're victims of violence, that it's you know, very much high suicide rate, problems with medical systems, government systems, you know, et cetera. And I just looked at that and said, oh my gosh, that's, I don't know, but if I knew all this you know, was what I was about, I wouldn't be trans. That's just too much pain. A week later, Eve was at another transgender group meeting, and she asked that group to call out words that said positive things about being trans. Immediately, people started saying, well, you know, 
we get kicked out of our houses. We have, you know, getting misgendered. And I said, no, 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 no. Tell me the positive things. What's good about it? And I'll write them up on this whiteboard here. And they, you know, they, they were kind of completely surprised. They just didn't like, you know, nobody's asked that. That's that's not what we do. We end up defining ourselves by our troubles. And all of a sudden they were saying, fabulous, enlightened, unafraid, caring, protective, strong, stable, you know, authentic. Words that just spilled out of them. Joy. They were clicking. We never picked that up again. That feeling turned out to be ephemeral. And that concerns me. The way that we as a culture look for what's wrong to define us, that we are defined by our challenges, is dangerous to me. I completely resonate. There are no truer words to my heart, uh, especially at this moment. I, I completely resonate with Eve's words, but I hesitate a little bit because that can quickly be a trauma response or a way of silencing us. And we have to be able to tell our stories. You know, I think Black folks, we hold paradox really well. We're able to be in the middle of um, an activist movement and go to a church getting ready for a protest where some of us might be harmed and hurt and arrested and possibly killed, right? But in the midst of that, we're eating dinner and laughing together and creating new songs of worship and radical songs of worship. We can hold these two things together. Uh, we can hold them well together and we have to hold them together or else we lose the awareness of oppression that is present and with us uh, we lose the awareness of danger, um, but we can't exist just in that. We have to also exist in our birthright, which is the joy of being trans, the joy of being Black and trans, the joy of being Black, and all of those things that we are, to be able to have power over naming ourselves, naming who we actually are, controlling the narrative about our bodies and our choices, uh, naming who our oppressors are, naming fascism and being clear that that's what's happening. Words in this moment are life for us. Words are life. I feel that way too. When you listen to people put their experiences into words, you can hear the pain and the fear, and you can hear the joy and the desire to come together and understand each other. I hope listening that way helps you appreciate the stories you hear. It helps you choose how you want to express your own. Is there a word or phrase you've been hearing in the news or in the culture lately and you want to dig into it? Let me know. Maybe it'll be a Words in Review episode. Email me at bradke, B-R-A-D-K-E, at K-U-O-W dot org. I'll be back here on Friday with Week in Review and then back next week with another Words in Review. Talk to you then.